0: So the year was 1988. My brother Aaron was seven. I was four, and we were all about. We were watching the Winter Olympics, and in particular, we were really enthralled with the bobsledding. Now. If you're over maybe 30 years old, you might know that 1988 was the year of the Jamaican bobsled team kind of making their debut. Feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. Come on, everybody, it's bobsled time. That's from Cool Runnings. Look it up if you're like 10, that's fine. So my brother and I just absolutely loved The bobsledding, I just, it was this fun thing to imagine hurtling down this kind of chute of ice at life-threatening speeds. I don't think that anymore. I used to though, like how cool would that be? So much so that it really fast went from like viewing this to starting to participate in bobsledding. We found like the old cardboard box that's in like every house and we started to decorate the sides of it with our names and stuff and we're going like left, right and having all sorts of fun with it but we were pretty hard kind of on that cardboard box and it started to break down pretty quickly so we decided, all right, what is the nearest, most convenient and most ill-advised thing to pick up and to create our bobsled around. And it was the brand new suitcase that my parents had just bought. So my brother and I, we kind of pull it over. And I don't really know how it happened this quickly, but really fast, I find myself completely zipped up inside the suitcase. And my brother says these kind of age old words. We argue about what he actually said, but this is what I think he said. He said, let's show mom. And I was like, okay, he's going to go get mom. She'll come. She'll be like, what are you doing? Hilarious. And then that's the end of it, right? No. He starts to push me, edge me, little bit by little bit towards the very top step. Three, two, one. And down the stairs I went. And so my mom, like any good mom, comes in and is like, what are you doing with our brand new suitcase? Like, we just got it. And my brother Aaron goes, well, Adam's inside. So she unzips it. And my eyes are like as big as saucers. And that's the story of why I have the sense of humor that I have. <laughs> Do you ever have like a story kind of like that in your life? Like an epic family story? So I actually have told that story here at the Ridge before. I tell it pretty regularly, actually. My brother told it at my wedding. I told it at my brother's wedding. You know, we have different versions of it, but he's not here today. So you're the correct version of it. But we have these epic family stories, you know, stories that are too good not to share. See, sharing stories about our lives is a fundamental piece of really just what it means to be a person. We want our stories to be heard, don't we? We want to be known. We want somebody to care about us. We want to share just a little bit of our journey together. Now, this is the first week in our series that we're calling Sharing is Caring. And I think we learn from a pretty young age, like these families who are up here today, that sharing is caring. We're like, share your blocks, share your crayons, share whatever. When we first think of sharing, we think of the kid being forced into sharing, you know, the swing or something like that. And in reality, as we grow older, some of us get a little bit better at that type of sharing. Some of us, maybe not so much. But I find that people are actually pretty quick to share the things that they care about. See, as adults, we share like our favorite restaurant spot. Have you ever done that? You know, somebody moves into town and you're like, you've got to try this place. As a side note, if you have any amazing restaurant spots, let me know. Like, we have that number, like text restaurant to eight one two four eight eleven eighty eight or something like that, okay? I'm serious. You're looking at me like I'm not serious. Like, I'd love to know. Now, although if you like, if you send me like a chain restaurant, we might not be able to be friends anymore because it's like, come on. Like we know that Chili's is great. It really is actually. We share our favorite movies sometimes. Although I have to admit that if you tell me to go see a bad movie, again, that's going to adjust our friendship. And I'm realizing that's more about me than it is about you, probably. But we share things that we care about. Sharing stories is actually one of the amazing things about social media. We say a lot of negative things about social media, but... Because of social media, I have been able to celebrate, you know, a friend from high school's marriage or grieve the loss of a loved one from somebody I'm not really that connected to today. That's a really amazing way to share kind of our lives, to see where people go on vacation after we get jealous and then we get past that and then we can be happy for them or what they had for dinner. It's all a version of just sharing a portion of our story. So why is it then? Why is it so difficult to share the story about Jesus? Why is it so difficult to share our faith story? This series is really just going to look into that question and what it means to do the most important version of sharing is caring just to tell the story of Jesus. Now, I think it's important to kind of start with this concept. And the concept is your story matters to God. No matter who you are, how old you are, what you've done, what you're going to do, your story matters to God. It's actually precious to God. And God uses our stories to make an impact in the lives of other people. So sharing our stories because they matter to us so much, but also because they matter to God so much, is the perfect definition of sharing is caring. Sharing the story of how Jesus changed your life is one of the most loving, it's one of the most kind things that you could do. So today we're gonna dig into an example from the Bible of someone sharing their Jesus story. It's actually in Acts 26. So the first four books of the New Testament, second half of the Bible is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the Gospels. They're about the good news of the life and ministry of Jesus. And right after that, it's Acts. And it talks about acts of the people who are kind of following Jesus early on in the life of the church. And we're gonna tell this story about this guy named Paul. And Paul had his opportunity to share his story with some really important people. So like any good story, there's all this backstory, all this context to Paul's stories. This is his version of like, you know, the Batman story of like, this is how, you know, his his family got into the situation that they're in. This is Paul's version of that. Check this out. Paul is in Jerusalem and he goes to church in the temple where they go to church, and he starts to teach about Jesus. And people who didn't like Paul, didn't like Jesus, and didn't like what Paul was teaching about Jesus, accused him of, quote, desecrating the temple. Do you know what that means? Neither did Paul. They didn't really explain what it meant, They were just mad at Paul, so much so that there was a riot and people tried to kill Paul. Now, Paul was okay because a guy named Claudius kind of snuck him out there. And Claudius said, hey, Paul, you're a Roman citizen. You should kind of protect your rights. Now, being a Roman citizen is a big deal in this story. Being a Roman citizen meant that you had rights throughout the world that other people didn't, including you had the right to know what you were accused of, which Paul didn't know. And you had the right to appeal to Caesar, the most powerful political person in the world at the time. So Paul is in jail. There's a plot to kill Paul during his trial. And eventually, Paul comes before this guy named Festus. I love Bible names so much. I mean, I noticed that nobody up here was, you know, named Claudius or Agrippa or Festus or anything like that. Those are like the three cool names that are in the story. But Paul comes... Paul comes before this leader, Festus. And Festus is just a a Roman officer, kind of an important guy in the Roman world. And they couldn't figure out what to do. Festus is trying to figure out why people are accusing him. Should he actually go to Caesar or not? And so here they are. They're in this group of people and they've gathered together and they're the movers and the shakers in the Roman world. And they're trying to figure this out, including a guy named King Agrippa. He's the king of Judea. Now, something important to know. Paul, before he comes before King Agrippa, he's standing before like a mob boss. That's kind of the way I think about King Agrippa. He has quite a family. Here's his family history. King Agrippa's great-grandfather tried to kill Jesus as a baby. Not off to a good start. King Agrippa's grandfather had John the Baptist beheaded. His father killed another follower of Jesus, James. So this is the guy... That Paul is going before. King Agrippa is kind of like the kingpin on like the HBO special about mobs or whatever. This is a guy who would not have received Paul warmly. And that's who Paul is standing before when he starts talking. And then Paul starts, excuse me, Paul starts talking about what brought them together. Like why did they gather together? Why are they here? And he quickly gets down to sharing his Jesus story. So that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in Acts 26, if you have kind of your Bible app or you want to follow along here on the screen. This is Acts 26, starting in verse 9. I used to believe, this is Paul talking, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. See, Paul starts with his life growing up. Easy enough. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious teacher of the day. And he was absolutely convinced that Jesus was a bad dude, up to no good. He put all of his energy, all of his time, all of his money, all of his effort into opposing Jesus' teachings. And that included putting Christians into jail. It included sentencing them to death and watching them die. That's really kind of the first part of the book of Acts. And that's a pretty intense story. That's a pretty unique story to Paul. And that's something that I think we can learn about our stories from Paul's story is your story is unique. No one else could tell Paul's story as well as Paul could tell Paul's story because he lived it. You're the only person with your story. God created you. God is a part of your story, whether you acknowledge that he is or not. And your unique story is a unique opportunity to kind of share your life. No one else can share your story because no one else has lived your story. Now I was talking to Abby my wife, kind of about her Jesus story. And she told me at times she struggles telling her story because it doesn't seem like that dramatic. Can Anybody relate to that? Like there's no like this huge moment or a mountaintop experience or anything like that. She's really spent most of her life in church and what we would call a, a good person. And maybe your story is similar to that, but I want to encourage you just because your story doesn't seem dramatic or sensational doesn't mean it's not, and it doesn't mean it's not important because it is so unique to you. Your story matters to God partly because your story is unique. And we see that in Paul's story. So he's telling his story. And he starts with what his life was like before he met Jesus, all these things that he was doing. But he's not done, he's not even close. See, Paul starts to tell the story of how he came to know Jesus. So he's on his way to a place called Damascus. He's just on the road, traveling there. Two hurt Christians, two persecute Christians, and suddenly there's this big, bright light. And the big, bright light asks Paul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And Paul asks, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus responds. This is verse 15. This is still Paul telling his story. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I've appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future and I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. What does Gentiles mean? That just means everybody else. There's the Jewish people, Israel, the people of God, and then everybody else. And he's saying, Paul, I'm sending you to everybody else to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people, the people of Israel, who are set apart by faith in me. And that's quite a come to Jesus moment, isn't it? Now, just to be clear, your story doesn't have to include blindness or lights of any kind. But Jesus literally blinds Paul to get his attention And he tells them directly, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow me. I want you to tell other people about me, people you would never have interacted with unless I was telling you to. So Paul before wanted to hurt Christians, but during this part of the story, he was stopped in his tracks. Have you ever wanted that type of clarity from God? Like the blinding light clarity? Like just tell me, just send me the email. Although with my email inbox, maybe I wouldn't get it. I'd probably delete it. But the amazing part of our story is that even though we might not feel like there's this blinding light moment, there is definitely a stop in your track moment. We all have these moments that we've interacted with Jesus in a way maybe we hadn't before, or we start to understand something that maybe we hadn't before. It's valuable. It's important. We all have this moment, whether it feels blinding to us or not. And so Paul says, I interacted with Jesus and it changed everything. So what happened after his encounter? Well, this is how Paul kind of responds. This is verse 19. And so King Agrippa, really bad dude. I obeyed that vision from heaven, staring straight into the eyes of a king. Paul does what Jesus asked him to do. Paul boldly talks about Jesus. His story is unique, but I think there's something else that we can learn about our stories with the way he tells his story because your story matters to God because your story has power. Do you ever realize that stories are our main way that we communicate? Think about like a story that you could tell just by heart. You know, maybe a movie, maybe a Bible story, maybe it's a commercial from like 1992 and you're like, and then he does this and it's hilarious. And you're like, is it? But you remember, you remember the entire story. Stories have power. We remember stories. And stories provoke response in us, at least good stories do. And Paul is telling his story, and these two powerful guys can't do anything but respond. They kind of have to respond. So they did. And Paul's story prompted them to say something. This so is what Festus said in verse 24 Paul, you crazy. Too much study has made you local. Like, that's what he's saying. No, think about it. If you were talking to somebody and they told your sto- their story and they're like, okay, I was walking down the street and then a bright light came up. I fell to the ground. I was blind for a little while. And then Jesus audibly said to me, you need to go do this. You'd be like, you crazy. But that's kind of what's going on here. And then King Agrippa said something in verse 28. This is what he said. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? He did not respond well, but he responded, and he didn't respond in a way that killed Paul. Now, both are strong responses, but Paul's story can't be ignored, because if what Paul is saying is even remotely true, if what we say in our stories is true, that Jesus really came, that he really was the Son of God, that he really did die on the cross for where we fall short for our sin, if that is true, then that changes things. And if that's true, and we're saying it's changed my life, somebody has to respond to that in some way. Maybe it's ignoring it, but they have to respond. And his story evoked some strong responses, and he had the opportunity to engage the most powerful people in the world with the all-powerful God. Now, have you ever heard somebody's story after the fact and it like changes the way you see them like it puts them in a different light like they're having a bad day maybe but you don't know that you know so they they interacted with you and you're like man they were kind of mean they're kind of rude and then you find out later oh they're dealing with this thing at home or their dog died and you're like I'm the jerk in that story now like that's on me I'm sorry about that or like you're really hanging out with somebody and you're vibing and everything's good and then all of a sudden you're like they're a Patriots fan like I'm out See, stories really do impact the way that we view other people. And our stories are unique and they're powerful and they matter to God. And I do think that there are occasions and opportunities for us to share our stories in context that we've never met this person and it's a stranger and we're saying, hey, nice to meet you and here's my story. Now, if I did that a lot of time, that would be like stranger danger stuff. But we can do that. When we meet somebody, God uses that all the time. But I also know Oftentimes, there are people in our lives that we we don't share our stories with. Sometimes it's harder for us to share, especially our Jesus stories, our faith stories, with people that we know than a stranger. But if it really is sharing, is caring, that the most important thing somebody can do is have a relationship with Jesus, which is what I believe, what are we doing? Let me say it this way. See, your story is best told in relationship because your story isn't about you, or at least only you. It's about each other. It's about God. It's about the people you're interacting with, people who have a different story than yours can learn from your perspective. People who have a similar story as yours, there can be solidarity in that and support in that. That's one of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery, one of our recovery programs. We do that here at the Ridge on Thursday evenings and they share their stories all the time in there. Well, why do they do that? Because there's solidarity, there's help, there's community, there's support that comes along with that. Sharing our stories matters a lot actually. And people who know Jesus can be encouraged by your Jesus story. People who don't know Jesus can be encouraged and challenged by your Jesus story as well. Because your story builds and strengthens when it's in a relationship. Another way to say it, before you share your story, start to share your life. There are people right now in your life that you share your stories with. Why not the faith part of it? Some of the most impactful times that I've had is when somebody in my life shares their story with me, whether that's telling their story or maybe like we have something here at the Ridge called Life Groups or Groups. When we live our stories together, like on their worst days, we get to enter into their story. You know how humbling that is? Or on their best days, we get to celebrate with them in their stories. See, that's what sharing a relationship, sharing life is all about. And then when they have the question or then when they're like, why are you like this? Why do you have joy in your grief or something like that? We have the opportunity to say, this is why. And you might be thinking, I'd love to share my story. I don't really know how. I don't know where to start. I don't have much of a story. No one would listen to my story. Those are all things maybe we think. So how do we? How do I share my story? I don't know if you caught it, but Paul is a master storyteller. And he uses this structure. We just want to break down. I imagine Paul saying kind of something like this. He says, before Jesus, I was a person who hurt people. Because of Jesus, I'm willing to share his story to the whole world. This is an incredible story in two sentences. He shares his life. It's kind of the structure he uses. Before, during, and after. It's as simple as that. Before he persecuted Christians, because of Jesus, during his interaction, he heard directly from Jesus to follow and to tell other people about Jesus, and after he obeyed. It can be that simple. Another way to say it, I really like this structure. Before Jesus, I was blank. Because of Jesus, I am blank. And we think, okay, before Jesus, I was lost. Because of Jesus, I am found. And we're like, well, I don't have that story. I think you do. I really do think you do. Let's break it down. Your story starts with your life before Jesus. What was the most important to your thing, to your life at that time? Where do you find your security? Where do you find your identity? Where do you find your value before you interacted with Jesus? And you might be thinking, I've had a relationship with Jesus since I was a kid, kind of like your wife, Abby. How do I talk about that? That's actually my story, too. And here's what I know, at least experientially in my life, that even though I might have followed Jesus, that doesn't mean that every step of the way, I was with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I share some of them up here. We all have these moments that were disconnected from God, and that can really be your before story. For me, I was in college, my freshman year of college, and I still believed in Jesus, but I wasn't following him. I didn't want to interact with church or with people who followed Jesus. I kind of thought that Christians were rude because sometimes we are. And I was completely disconnected. That's part of my before story. And the second part is during. It's how you came to know Jesus. And for you, it might be a moment in time. You know, September 9th, 1992. I know exactly what happened that day. I don't, I made that date up. So if that's your birthday, that's really weird. God is saying something to you. I don't know. But maybe the moment that you decided to follow Jesus is that specific, but it might be a season of life, a year, a year the year my marriage fell apart or, hey, around the time we had our first kid or, you know, that type of thing. One isn't better than the other. But at some point, I believe that Jesus entered into your story in a way that changed things. If you follow Jesus, all you're asking is, well, why and how? How did Jesus change my perspective? How did he change my life? Why did I change my behavior? What happened for me to give him complete control? And for me, I remember being so alone, so sad, my freshman year of college, and I didn't know what to do. And so I just start talking, and I start praying, and not like this blinding light moment, but I did feel God's prompting me to say, what are you doing, man? You know who I am. Why aren't you going to love other people and follow me? That's part of my during story. And then the third part is after. It's what your life is like now that you know Jesus. What do you experience now that maybe you didn't before? And for me, I experience hope and peace in a way that I couldn't even possibly comprehend my freshman year of college. Keep in mind, I accepted Jesus at eight years old. That's way after that. And just in your after story, just to be clear, that does not mean life is all sunshine and rainbows. Life is still hard. It's really about sharing the hope of Jesus in the middle of what's hard. See, our stories matter to God. They're unique, they have power, but they really matter to God because they're a part of God's story. And we have this opportunity to share. Before Jesus, I was this. Because of Jesus, I am this. And we just fill in the blanks. Now, a couple of other, just, we're all friends here, tips and tricks of sharing your story. Here's the first one, be careful with length. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you're like, they used 10,000 words to share a 30 word story. That's my son Asher, pretty much, he's nine. And you're like, that's also you, dude. I'm like, yeah, that's fair, it is pretty much me. I get paid to do that, I guess. But the point is, just be thoughtful about how long you're talking. A good story is told in conversation. It's not always a monologue. Here's another thing. Be cautious with language. So using a bunch of religious sounding words, you know, or telling the story about how you saw the angel in your potato chip or whatever can be a pretty quick turnoff. So be careful with what you say. Even if that's true, even if that's been a part of your story, and maybe you've thought, hey, I want to share my story, but I'm kind of intimidated. I don't know what words to use. That's okay. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have it all figured out. I think some of the most powerful things people who follow Jesus can say are, I don't know, but I know Jesus. Yeah, it was hard, and I don't have that all figured out. Or even some of the most powerful things that we can say in that context is, I don't know, man, but I love you. Be cautious with language. And then the last one, just be consistent with love. Sometimes when we start telling our story, it's all about us telling our story. You know, like, let me finish, let me finish. That's not really what it's about. Think of your friend first, how maybe she would receive your story. Maybe there's part of your story that you don't need to tell so that you could tell more detail, a different part of your story. And the more you do this, see, the Holy Spirit, God in us can help us tell our stories. We don't have to have the words. He has the words. So tell your story in a way that builds relationship rather than tears somebody down. And if you believe in Jesus, I believe that it matters to God. Your story does. I believe it. And if you don't believe in Jesus, I believe your story matters to God just as much because his story is our story. These little bits of his story are us. We're a part of it. We get to be a part of his story and we get to be a part of telling Jesus' story. So my challenge you today is to share your Jesus story with somebody this week. This is very direct. You thought you were gonna get out of here without me saying it probably. Share your Jesus story with somebody this week. My guess is you have somebody in your life that you could share Jesus with right now. Like the clock is already ticking. And the most amazing way we can show love, we can show care, sharing is caring, is to share Jesus, is to share your story. It can be simple just before, during, and after. And sometimes that's scary and it can require us to have faith. But when we remember and when we share our story, when we share how Jesus changed our lives, it helps us respond even to who he is and to what he's done. Sharing is caring. That was helpful, I think, to kind of hear Paul's Jesus story today. But I'd like to share another example of a Jesus story from a really good friend of mine.
1: So before I had a uh, relationship with Christ, um, uh, I had grown up uh, just uh, dirt poor in a rather dysfunctional uh, family. I grew up pretty much with uh, without a father. Um, my uh, um, my dad was um, an alcoholic and uh, he was pretty much out of my life uh, by the time that I was an early teenager. And um, uh, we didn't have a good relationship. In fact, I had a lot of anger in my life as, as a result of that. Uh, but I grew up um, rather uh, cocky and confident and angry. And um, so that characterized my life Uh, for uh, quite some time. Uh, But those things kind of propelled me and I was rather driven. So by the time I was uh, 22 years old, um, I had uh, bought my own house. Uh, I owned uh, my uh, car outright and I had married uh, the wife of my dreams. And and so at that point, honestly, uh, given my background, not that I was in any luxurious life, but I was kind of thinking, is this all there is? And so when I first heard the message about uh, Jesus and that uh, God uh, loved me so much uh, to send his son into the world, to die for me and my sin. That thought of the Heavenly Father compared to the Father that I had made the difference in me crossing the line and trusting Christ as my Savior. The opportunity to um, understand what a life with Christ um, uh, meant was um, was just huge to me. And uh, so I uh, made that decision and um, uh, crossed over uh, in inviting Christ into my life and uh, he immediately began to, uh, to change my life and uh, began to think about things different. And honestly, I had this incredible new purpose in my life because it wasn't about these things that I was trying to attain and, and all, but it was about uh, loving him and loving others and uh, doing that to the best of my ability and, and ultimately just bringing honor to him. So uh, uh, that gave me a new purpose. Uh, honestly for the rest of the trajectory of my life.
0: Bow your head with me. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we are a part of your story. We're thankful that you see fit to love us before we interact with Jesus, love us during that interaction, love us after that interaction, any crack or seam in between. And our Hearts are open today to your prompting. Show us right now who you want us to interact with today. Who do we want us to love and to care? How do you want us to share our stories? Not for our own purposes, not to make our name great or anything else to make your name great. Thank you for the story that we get to tell over and over and over again about Jesus and the cross and the grave and the resurrection. Thank you for the way that you take care of us. Be with us as we share our stories this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.